welcome to our second week of our series called Songs of Christmas. Now, from time to time, um, God uses me uh, to provide a rebuke, um, a humbling of sorts when it comes to our staff, especially uh, when it comes to their gambling addictions. This past week, um, our beloved and Christ-like man, Scott Sparley, uh, could not help, but he bet his 49ers uh, would beat my Seahawks, and the loser having to wear the other team's jersey all day on Monday. Well, lo and behold, the Lord is with the Seahawks. And uh, he... uh, He used me once again to humble Scott to bring correction and discipline in his life. And so we got a beautiful picture (laughs) of Scott, you know, on the screen. He looks so good in green. In fact, uh, I think maybe that should become his new priestly garments. You know, I'm just kind of throwing that out there for everybody to see. Uh, This has absolutely nothing to do with the message, but that's all I got for you tonight. So let's pray. You know, we're we're good, you know, for for this day. Um, Welcome again, again, like I said, this series where we're looking truly, you know, at the first songs that are around the story of the birth of Christ. And last week, we talked about Mary's song, and today we're going to look at Zachariah's song. But before we do, let me start with this. Christmas for kids is so hard, for them it can be some of the hardest time of the year, because they feel like they have to wait so long. I don't know if you remember, you know, that time, I know as adults, sometimes it's like it comes too fast and there's always more to do than the time allowed, but as a kid, I was in the car with my daughter, Angeli, and she asked me on her way home, she says, "Uh, Daddy, have you bought me presents yet? And I said, well, honey, yes, I have. And she looked at me and she said, well, well, how many? And I was like, well, two? And she goes, oh, well, what did you get me? And I was like, I'm not gonna tell you. I said, you'll find out on Christmas. And she just exasperated. She's like, oh, but that's so long. It is so long to wait for Christmas. See, on social media, I asked a somewhat similar question. What is something that you have waited for so long that you actually gave up, but then it actually happened? And so Derek wrote, you know, a Seahawks Super Bowl win. But then he also said, now I've given up again. So we'll pray for you, you know, Derek, on that. Uh, Brian wrote, my kids to find me smart again. You see, when they were young, dad was the smartest, almost uh, elevated to an all-knowing status. And then they hit their teens, and I got dumber and dumber. Now that they're adults, I'm actually smart again. And so never thought that would happen for him. Uh, Nathan uh, ordered a package from overseas just before COVID hit. Yeah, he thought it would never make it. But then nine months later, it actually arrived. So well done, you know, Nathan. Now, Kim thought, uh, I never thought I'd be able to do all it takes to return to teaching after being away from the profession for 10 years. But God gave me courage and belief that I could do it, and I did. Stephanie said, my marriage, after 13 years of it not being one that we should have had, God restored it, and we love each other more than we'd ever imagined. And we celebrate 25 married years this May of 2022, feeling super blessed. Or Kathy, I didn't think my mom would ever talk to me again. And yet three years later, she did. Rachel just wrote an apology from a close friend. Then Nicole said, sobriety. Look at me clean and healthy. Love that. We can, we can get excited about that. Mary, so yeah, you can clap for that. You can clap for that. We can get a little excited. 
Steve, how was that clap? Uh, still, still working on it. Okay. Uh, uh, Mary said children. She never had kids. But uh, she has over 30 kids now that call her grandma. Uh, Amanda said, actually having a baby. I was told for 14 years it wouldn't happen, so I gave up. Figured it wouldn't happen and just moved on. But God had a plan all along. See, speaking of miracle births, last week we looked at Mary. And like I said, today we get to look at Zachariah and Elizabeth. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1, or we got Bibles in the back. If you're watching you know, online, you can pull up you know, your smartphones, whether you're in the room or online as well. Now, before I get to preaching, I'm going to test something you know, with you guys. I'm going to test uh, your ability to stay engaged, uh, because I'm going to do a fair amount of teaching for a good chunk of what we're going to talk about you know, on this day, and then I'm going to finish with some preaching. And so uh, I'm going to test your attention span, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So this is going to be an experiment, you know, for all of us. In Luke chapter 1, and there's a good amount of this that will not be on the screen, so you can either listen, you know, or listen from home, or like I said, look into your own Bibles. In Luke chapter 1, we pick up in verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both now very, very old beyond the age of actually having kids by a long shot. So Zechariah is a priest serving in the temple of God for most of his life, and like many couples in that day and even in our age today, having kids is a great gift, but they were unable to have a child in the childbearing years, and now they had given up on that hope and dream, even though they had prayed about it. Now, far worse in that culture is if you did not have a child, and if you did not have a male child, you would actually be thought of as if you had done something wrong, something to upset God, that your sins or the sins of your family line actually is playing its havoc in your life. And so even though that he is a priest, and even though she comes from the line, and even though that God says that they're righteous and all that they're doing, they're following his commands, in the eyes of other people, there might be some judgment taking place. One day, though, in verse 8, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Do you understand that there were thousands of priests at this time from the tribe of Levi, and he was chosen for the special honor that I'm going to walk us through in just a second. This would be the choosing of a lifetime. You would have one chance in your entire life to do what Zechariah was asked to do. Verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So let me set the scene. Let me teach you just a little bit. See, in Jewish culture, before dawn, it was typical at that time for hundreds to gather at the temple ready to worship God. The morning sacrifice would begin when the incense priest, which in this case is Zechariah, would walk into the temple into the outer courts. As he would walk into the outer courts, he would strike a gong-like instrument known as the megrapha. At this sound, the Levites, the other pastors or priests of the day, assembled and got ready to lead and gathered people in songs of worship to God. The other two priests, who happened to be chosen by Lot, would accompany him into the specific chamber. 
All three would enter the holy place together. One priest would set burning coals on the golden altar. The other priest arranged the incense so it was ready to go, and then they would leave. Then the special priest that was chosen would actually bring the incense, representing the prayers and the praises to God as a sweet aroma, and he would place it on this altar. In fact, we have a picture that helps you understand what this place looked like. So in front of Zechariah was the golden altar of incense that you can see. It was 18 inches square and three feet high. On that small table lay the burning coals with little wisps of smoke rising up ready for the incense. Now behind the gold altar was this huge thick curtain. And as you can see, the curtain in this picture is actually open so you can see what's behind there. Because behind this curtain was the Holy of Holies. It's the most holy place where no man could enter except the high priest. And that only happened once a year on what's called the Day of Atonement, where they would sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel. As he faced this golden altar of incense, to his right would be the table of showbread, and to his left would be the golden lampstand, which provided the only light that he was able to see in this holy place. The golden lampstand was also called, that you might be familiar with, called the menorah. It stood as a permanent reminder that God is the giver of life. And like all the other tabernacle furniture, it also represented the foreshadowing of the Christ or Messiah, or who we would know as Jesus Christ. It brought light to people, which is interesting because then in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then we see that the table of showbread was a constant reminder of God's everlasting covenant with his people and his provision for the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's always 12 round you know, uh, pieces of bread that was there. And it's ironic that Jesus also says in John, I am the bread of life. I want to encourage you to join us in spring because we're going to go through the seven I am statements of Jesus leading up to Easter. So after the incense priest, which again is Zechariah finished, he came out of his holy place through these great doors, and then the other two priests that were chosen would stand next to him, and then he would provide a daily blessing for the people. And do you know what he would say? You might be familiar with these words. He would recite Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The hundreds of gathered worshipers would instinctively and already be taught to be able to say back to them, blessed be the name of the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. After this, the Levites got the worship singers and the musicians started. So they would begin to sing. They would actually start with a blast from a special silver trumpet. Then the priest struck the cymbals. And then there was a choir of Levites who began to sing the specific psalm that they would choose of the day. The choir was made up of not less than 12 voices. That was the rule. You had to have at least 12. And it had to be intermingled with both old and young people. And so I wanted you to see how similar our worship services and the importance of singing was illustrated even in this story that we may not readily see when you first read it. And in verse 11, though, we pick back up in the story. While Zechariah was in this place, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So he's about ready to pour the incense on, standing to the right of the incense altar. 
Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. This is what's called a Nazarite vow. You can look it up online just because I don't have time to walk into it. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Even before his birth. As I told you last week, God knows that life begins at conception. And so even to God in the womb, we want to be able to pray for our country. We want to pray you know, for the unborn. We want to pray as the Supreme Court makes a ruling in the next several months. Verse 16. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause all those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now what's so fascinating about this verse and what what the angel is saying, it's been 400 years since they have heard from God. 400 years. The very last book in our Old Testaments is called Malachi. And Malachi, the very last book of that, of that Testament, comes in chapter four, and it says these words. Elijah will come before the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. So what the angel is saying is what the very last book of the Old Testament said is actually being fulfilled, Zechariah, in your midst. That's what's so cool. He's tying the Old and the New Testament together. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is so well along in years that the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. <laughs> you might be thinking like I did. Wait a minute. Isn't, didn't Mary just say the same thing to Gabriel when she was given this announcement? Wasn't she the one you know, who said, how can this be since I'm a virgin? See, but there's a difference, though, in what Mary was asking and what Zachariah was asking. Mary asked, how can this be? Zachariah essentially was asked, I don't believe this can be. Two different statements. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he's taking so long. Come on, worship service, let's get this on. What's happening now? I got places to go, Zechariah, let's eat. Anybody else hungry in the room? Yep, I've seen it on your faces. When they finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zacharias' week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, just as the angel had told him, and went into seclusion for five months. And she proclaims how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And then we jump down to verse 57, which is after last week's message, where Mary visits Elizabeth and sings her song, and we pick up here, and this will be on the screens now. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony because they wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. See, they didn't name kids when they were born right away. They waited eight days before then they pronounced, this is the name of which this child will be. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. 
what? They exclaimed, there's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father, Zechariah, what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everybody's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. By the way, that name means God has been gracious. God has shown favor. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again and began praising God. I began to think, if you and I were unable to speak for nine months up to a year, what would you say when you finally could? What would actually come out of your heart? Because what's on our hearts is actually what's gonna come out of our mouths, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what's been residing in there? And so instead of being bitter by what's taking place in Zechariah, he then couldn't help but begin to sing and to praise God for what he was doing. And so my teaching is now over. Now it's time to start preaching. There are two things that in Zechariah's song that we also can praise God for that I want you to pay close attention to. The first is that you and I, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you and I have gone through, will go through, will ever go through, we always can find a reason to praise God for Jesus. We can always find a reason to say, God, I thank you for Jesus. See, his song starts in verse 67, that his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy, and this is where the song begins. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. See, God is our redeemer. What that means is that God washes away. He covers, he atones, he pays the price for, in this case, sin in our lives. And then he continues to sing. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we'll be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. See, we praise God for Jesus because he's our redeemer. We praise God for Jesus because he is our savior. See, Zechariah is praising God for the savior that the Christ, the Messiah, will be. Some people read that, and they think, well, that must mean he's gonna save us from Rome. He's gonna save us from those enemies. And it's like, no, no, no. The greatest enemy you and I have is not the enemies that we think. It's the enemy from within. It's our sinful nature. That's our greatest enemy. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to God. It's the only way. That's not my words. That's Jesus' word. He tells Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. See, God saves us, as I mentioned, from our greatest enemy, which is sin. For Romans tells us, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty our sins. Zechariah continues to praise God in verse 72. He says, he has been merciful. Remember, these are the first words that he is saying after not being able to speak for nine months or more, depending on when exactly Elizabeth got pregnant. He had been merciful to our ancestors by remembering a sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. This reminds us we praise God for Jesus because he is a promise keeper. We, he may not do it in the time frame that we want, but he always will keep his promise. See, the Lord always keeps his promises in Psalms 145. He is gracious in all he does. So Zechariah says, 
regardless of what's going on, regardless of our situation, you can always come together. You can always gather together and worship God. You can worship God through song. You can worship God through your time. You can worship God through your talents. You can worship God in so many ways, but we can worship him because his name is Jesus, because of who he is. And so I know we come in and we're like, I don't feel like singing, I don't wanna sing, and yet the true time of the season, if you're a follower of Christ, is we can sing, and we have the opportunity to bring it to him. Now, what he does now is he switches gears. In his song, he goes from praising this Messiah, this Savior who we know is Jesus, who's gonna come into the world, to now he focuses on the specific gift of his son. And he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. So it's fascinating that we can walk away from as he's talking about a prophecy and he's singing about what John is gonna be able to do to the world is that we can also praise God that like John, we too can lead people to Jesus. That's something we can always praise God that you're gonna invite, you're gonna invite and you're gonna ask me to be a part of your plan, your plan to bring humanity back to, to him that you get to include me. See, like John, we are actually called by God in our praise to him to actually stand out, to stand out. Now, John was a little freaky, I'm not gonna lie. The guy ate weird stuff, you know? You thought some of you vegans, you know, ate some weird stuff, you know, but I'm talking about like, you know, these, these, these crickets, you know, and stuff like that in the wilderness, and the way he just hung out, he just, he's just a weird dude. Now, we don't have to be that weird, but we are called to be salt and light. Salt to enhance flavor, light to bring light into dark places that he's called us to represent him. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. It's why 100% of the offering goes outside the walls because we wanna shine the light. We wanna testify to who he is. See, like John, we, can, we get to tell others about Jesus. Now, you may have heard me ask this question before, but just humor me. Whether you're watching you know, online or, or you're here in the room, here's what I want you to do. I want you to right now just look at your feet. Just go ahead, do it right now. Just look at your feet. And I want you to answer this question. Do you have beautiful feet? Okay, do you have beautiful feet? Raise your hand if you've got beautiful feet. Okay, put it in the chat if you've got beautiful feet. Here's why I ask you this. In Romans chapter 10, it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. God has given us the opportunity to praise him by giving and sharing the message of good news to those who need it. And isn't this a better season than any other time to share some good news in this world? Amen. That he is available for us and we can worship him. See, as we enter into the season, God and I want you to have beautiful feet and we want you to be able to proclaim in about two weeks from now, just about two weeks from now, we're gonna celebrate as we celebrate our Christmas services, and it's gonna be fun, I promise you. We're gonna worship, and we're gonna share good news. 
And so I want you to have good feet. So practically, here's how we put our praise into action. Who is someone that God is calling you to invite this year for one of our Christmas services? Who is someone that God is putting your sphere of influence, not mine? Who is someone that God is putting your family at your work in your neighborhood? It's not your job to see them say yes. It's our opportunity to share that good news by standing out, by inviting and by sharing this good news. This is what it's about. Zachariah, as he was taught since he was a kid, he went into the temple and he worshiped the Lord. And then he was confronted with what that really was gonna mean in his life. And he found himself saying, you know what? I have reason to worship God because the Messiah has come. The long-awaited Christ and his name is gonna be Jesus. And I can worship and praise God because I too am gonna have a son who's gonna be able to proclaim and testify to who this Jesus is. If you've received Christ, you and I have that same opportunity and privilege. But as always, the choice is yours. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time and this opportunity to proclaim you, to learn from Zechariah in his lifestyle, but also his words. Help us, too, to establish a heartbeat of praise, especially through song, for who you are regardless of our circumstances. And we pray right now for those you're putting on our heart right now that you want us to invite to this Christmas season. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.